what can we really say about prayer? I think it's an interesting topic because it's one that I think a child can grasp the concept of prayer and give you a pretty decent explanation of what it is uh, if they have any understanding of it at all. I mean, my son's not even two yet, and he every day is like, you know, Papa, pray, Baton. He even gets that prayer is important. So surely there's, there's a simple side to it. There's definitely a simple concept to prayer, and yet, how many books have been written trying to dissect prayer, trying to kind of help us to understand what is prayer, what is it about, trying to teach us how to pray. There are literally, I'm saying thousands, but there are probably way more than that. I mean, it's a massive topic that spans all religions, all cultures throughout the world. Everybody has some idea, some concept of prayer, some way that they understand prayer, in all cultures, and it's been around since the beginning of time. We see prayer going all the way back to the beginning. And in my study for this series, I'll be honest, at times I felt a little overwhelmed, still feeling a little overwhelmed. We'll see how it goes in the next few weeks. It's, remember, feedback on these cards here. If you have any uh, suggestions, no. But there seems to be so much to say about prayer but I want to kind of just let you guys know what the idea is behind this series. Why are we doing this? What do I want to accomplish? I think that if, if we look at prayer as this kind of vast ocean, right? We're standing on the shore of something that's so big and so vast and so deep. I don't want us to dive into the depths and go down and try to explore the trenches and the unknowns. And Instead, I hope in the next four weeks that we all kind of become better swimmers, I want us, we won't have time to get into all of the expansive nature of defining what prayer is, or even if we limit that only to a Christian perspective, we won't be able to dive into all the doctrines and biblical understandings of prayer as we see it all through scripture. It's in there from the beginning to the end. Prayer is very prevalent in the Bible. What I'd rather do with our time is try to get a better grasp of a biblical understanding of prayer with the aim of seeing each and every one of us cultivate a better and more vibrant prayer life personally. That's our hope. That's our goal in this series. So why, Lord, teach us to pray? What does it mean? Where does it come from? It's from Luke 11.1. 1. It says that now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. It goes on as uh, John taught his disciples. Lord, teach us to pray. Now, many of us, whether new to Christianity or seasoned veterans, if you will, I think we'll all have this one thing in common when we talk about prayer. It seems to be an important part of our walk with the Lord. It seems to be that it matters. No matter if you're new to Christianity or you've been in it for many years, we'll all kind of agree, yeah, prayer is a part of it. It needs to be there. Even if we have maybe a different understanding of what that importance looks like or what that importance is, we'll all see that prayer is something that we have to have in our Christian life. And yet we often feel, I think, a dissatisfaction or frustration I know I do often when it comes to thinking about my own and I think thinking about our own personal prayer life and our experiences and our expectations when it comes to prayer. 
There can be a frustration, a dissatisfaction, something might be missing. It can be difficult. We can think to ourselves of times where we've said, man, I've, I try to pray, I try to, to spend time with God, I, I try to get in there, but I just, I get distracted. I, I start off, I'm praying and things are going well, and then suddenly I'm planning out my dinner for tonight, and I'm thinking about what I'm going to do next Saturday, and I'm like, wait, what was I, I was praying, how did I get here? I mean, I know I'm probably the only one in this room that's guilty of that, but our minds kind of tend to not want to focus on prayer. We can think, why is it so difficult just to pray? It seems like it should be something so simple, especially when my two-year-old son is reminding me I should pray all the time. Then I'm like, oof, boy, lay on the guilt, man. It seems the disciples had a similar frustration because they ask for help. They ask Jesus himself, Jesus, teach us to pray. In fact, as far as I know, Sam might maybe can correct me if I'm wrong, but as far as I know, it's the only thing that we know specifically that the disciples asked to be taught, where they actually say, teach us this. We want to learn how to pray. Prayer is something that feels so natural, right? It's, it's kind of, it feels like something that we need to do. We, when we feel stress or when we feel a burden, we tend to use it as a default thing. God, help me. Even non-Christians have, have cried out to God maybe in a time of desperation. It seems something that's in our DNA, which is why we see it span so many different cultures throughout history. But even though it seems as it's something so natural to us, it's, it won't always come naturally. And this is where our frustrations can kind of come in. And if an athlete is born an athlete, he can never become a professional athlete just by trusting in his natural abilities. He has to still work at it to become, at a high, to reach the, the pros. And I think we can get frustrated that our prayer life isn't what we want it to be. And yet we don't do anything different. We just expect it to change. We expect it to just get better. And I want to encourage you that your prayer life can get better. We can improve. We can, it's something we can work on. We can work toward. We don't have to just be satisfied with where we are. We can continue to grow and trust that we will grow. We can be taught to pray. You can see your prayer life grow with God over time. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, in Luke, it's right before Luke's accounting of the Lord's Prayer. Who's ever heard of the Lord's Prayer? There's a few hands that didn't go up. It's going to be a very educational day for you. The rest of you, no, sit back. Today we're going to go, we're going to walk through this very familiar prayer. I think a lot of us, most of us have heard it. You've, you've heard it recited. In fact, I would say, arguably, it might be the most recited kind of collection of words in human history. I mean, it's been, it's been recited many, 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 many times. And so we're going to walk through this familiar prayer and look at it, look at the different pieces that we see that make it what it is. But I want to warn you, all those hands that went up, not to shut down because you think there's nothing to get out of this prayer anymore. I've heard it, I've heard it, I've heard it, I know it. It's Come on, I thought we were going to talk about prayer, something new, something exciting. What's, what's, what's the cutting edge of prayer right now? No, we're, not, we're going back to the beginning. 
And I want to warn you that familiarity can blind us to deep truths that have been in our ear the whole time. We can miss them because we've heard them so many times before. When I moved to Freiburg, it's, uh, well, I was living off of kind of donations, so I didn't, uh, I didn't live in a palace or anything. And I lived in a really small apartment that was literally about 10 meters from a train. And it was only freight trains that went on that track, and so the whole place would shake. And it was like the first two weeks, I mean, I didn't sleep. It was like every, every two hours on the dot, a train would go by. Uh, but after about a month, people would come over and be like, man, how do you live next to a train? I'd be like, what train? Like, I didn't even, it just, you, I slept like a baby after two months. I didn't hear it anymore. And whether it's a train outside your window or a prayer you've heard a thousand times, we can really become deaf to anything given enough exposure and familiarity. And I want to warn you to clean out your ears today. Open your eyes a little bit wider so that you can see this prayer through fresh eyes and fresh, hear it with fresh ears today as the disciples heard it when, he, when Jesus gave it to them all those years ago. Why? Because this is the answer Jesus gives to the question, teach us to pray. So if you are in a place where you're frustrated with your own prayer life and you want to see an improved prayer life, to connect with the Lord better, to see results, to see answers to your prayers, this is the answer Jesus gives. Teach us how to pray. This is what he's going to give us. So in my view, there is nowhere else to start better than right here in what Jesus gives us in the Lord's Prayer. So to start, let's read through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. We'll look at Matthew, and then we'll go through it again bit by bit, kind of breaking down uh, and giving a very short explanation of each. There's a lot we could unpack, but I really want you guys to get an overview of the whole thing today before you leave. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now before he even gets into the prayer, he starts with Pray then like this. So teach us how to pray. This is what he's, he, he gives to what he's going to get into. He says, pray then like this. He's about to give us the keys on how to pray. But I want you to note that he didn't say, pray this and only this. But rather, pray like this. And that's important because I know that we've all heard this, this so many times and it's a powerful thing for us to recite it together. I definitely don't want to diminish that. We do it here in the church from time to time and it's, uh, it's some, definitely something that kind of unites us and it's, there's a good thing in there. But it's not the only function of the Lord's Prayer to recite it together and feel, okay, we've recited a prayer. Amen. Let's close the service. And personally, I would even go as far as say, I don't think it's the primary function, right, to, just to recite it. What I mean is that prayer is and is meant to be something unique and personal to each and every one of us. We have, we're uniquely designed and uniquely made, and we have a language in ourselves. Prayer is personal. So how then can this one prayer really fit us all? Prayer doesn't seem to be something that would fall under the category of one size fits all. 
So how can Jesus give this as the example of prayer? I believe that as we grow in prayer, in, in our relationship to God, and we, we're spending time with God, and we're kind of, our prayer life is becoming more vibrant, we begin to build this space, this kind of comfortable space of prayer. It becomes something that we know, that becomes familiar to us in a good way. It's a place where we go to spend time with our loving Father and Creator. And we can go into this place in, in, through prayer. And if we're going to be building a house where we're going to be spending time with God, it's going to look very different to each and every one of us. And that's a good thing. That's a cool thing. Some of us are, after years of, of kind of cultivating a prayer life, are going to be kind of having more maybe of something in the, in the mansion category and when, in our prayer space. Some of us still live in tents. Some of us are going to have a house filled with art and extravagant design and color, and some of us are going to have more maybe a modern design. It's going to be unique to each and every one of us, and that's okay. It's what makes prayer something so beautiful. But no matter what kind of house you are building in your prayer, no matter how many windows or what color you paint the walls or what furniture fills the rooms, you need to have a solid foundation for your house or it won't stand. And that's where we see the Lord's Prayer come in. Jesus is giving us a framework on which prayer should be built. All of the colors and the arrangements we get to add in from our own personal design, from who we are as individuals, as God has created us. I'm thankful for that. It's actually one of the great things we'll get into later in this series of, of the power of praying together because my house isn't going to look like your house and when we come together, we get to build something beautiful together, something new as a church. So, but yeah, getting, I should stay on my notes. We've got quite a lot of them today. We need to build a solid foundation. This is where we see what we see here in this prayer. Understanding this foundation is absolutely essential to building a stronger prayer life. And that's why we're going to take this time today to go through this prayer. Even though we will go through it quickly, I figured I decided it's better to go all the way through it quickly rather than split it up over a couple weeks because I want all of you guys here today to hear some bit about what makes this prayer a foundation for us and how to pray it personally as your own. And the next week we'll spend a little more time focusing on some specific parts as we look at different kinds of prayer that we can pray. But today we're focusing on the Lord's Prayer our foundation. It starts with the address, our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven. Could have done two weeks on that alone. What we see here in the address is obvious from the very beginning. Who are you praying to? Who are you addressing? The answer should be, we are praying to God, our Lord, and our Father. He is our Father. Now this is important because it's, it's interesting. We know that Jesus elsewhere tells us quite explicitly that we're to pray in His name, right? We're to ask for things in His name. No one can go to the Father except through Christ. We, 
We see this, we need to pray in Jesus' name. And it's interesting, when he is teaching on prayer, he doesn't mention that. Why is that? It's because he does. The reality is that if we pray our Father, we are praying in Jesus' name. We have to be. No one can call him Father except through relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you can call God Father, it's because you know Jesus and you are praying to him in Jesus' name. So if I pray Father, I am fully acknowledging that I have been adopted as a son of God or you as a daughter of God. I am a co-heir with Christ. And that this is only possible because of the grace that's been bestowed on me through the cross. Just in addressing God as Father, I am, I am claiming that. I have to be. Or it's heresy. I have no right to call him Father except through Christ. It is only through Jesus Christ that he is my Father. Our Father, again, I'm moving fast, sorry can ask me questions afterwards. Our Father also reminds us that prayer is on a family basis. Not only am I his son, and he is my father, but he is our father. That's why he puts this our right from the very start. Our father. It's this unifying truth of grace that we are so united and connected to one another as the body of Christ and we can only come to him as we are ultimately one as we come to him. I can come to him as, as his son, but we also come to him as his children together. All those who call Jesus their Lord are adopted into God's family. And if the Lord's prayer is our foundation for our prayer life as a whole, this first address is the foundation for that foundation you have to get this. We must understand our adoption and the importance of seeing God as our Father, of knowing who we are to Him. Because otherwise, all of the rest of the prayer, all of the rest of it just kind of crumbles. This is the foundation. This is the keystone. Nothing else can be built in our prayer life until we really grasp this truth. You are a son and a daughter of God because of Jesus Christ and the grace that's been given to you. There's no other way you can come to him. There's no other way you can request anything of him. There's no other way you can connect to him except through this truth. It has to be a foundation in your heart and in your life. Since becoming a father, I have to say that this has kind of gained a new understanding or a new come into a new light for me, if you will. Knowing what I want for my son the way that I love him, the way that, and I, and I think of, I mean, I, I want to be a good father, but I am definitely not perfect. My patience has been definitely tested to its limits a few times so far. I can only look forward to the future. But God is infinite in his patience, infinite in his love. And my greatest attempts to be a good father pale in comparison to who God is. And I have to grasp this before I can come to him with anything else. The power in your prayer, the authority in your prayer is directly connected to your understanding 
that you are praying to your Father as a child of God. You have to get that first. But he's not just our Father. He is our Father in heaven. I'll just say this quickly on that point. When we pray to our Father in heaven, we are acknowledging his status as Lord and God and creator of everything. That while simultaneously... We're we're noting that he is God, creator. You're up there. You're in heaven. You are Lord of lords, king of kings. But simultaneously, I'm noting that there's a personal relationship that I've been invited to partake in through my relationship to him through Jesus Christ. Our Father in heaven. Seems so simple. You've heard it so many times before, but have you really thought about what it really means to start a prayer with that? We are saying, you are my father, and I come to you as your child. And yet I also acknowledge that you are above me in heaven, over all things, in all things. We're connecting the almighty God to us as his united children by grace. After this address, of which again there is much, 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 much more to say, We go now into the petitions of the prayer. The first petition, hallowed be your name. This is a petition and also an adoration or a praise. Hallowed, not a word that you often use probably in your everyday speech. It means basically sacred, something that we hold as sacred, as supreme, greatly revered or honored above anything else, to see it as something holy and perfect. Hallowed be your name. In what way, though, is this a petition? What is this? How are we, what are we requesting by saying that? And keeping this quick, again, I'll give you two things that I see that are worth noting of more that we could point out. Hallowed be your name is a petition to keep his name hallowed above all other things in our life. That's why this is at the very start of the prayer. Before we get to any of our requests for our everyday life, the question is, is God's name in the hallowed position, the holy position, the sacred position, the honored position in our own hearts? Hallowed be your name, and, hope, and I hope that it remains so in my heart. When we pray, are we first giving God a list of the things we want and need? Okay, God, here's my, here's my need. I need this, I need this. Help me, help me, help me, need me. I need this, I need this, I need this. Want, want, want. Is this, is this our first interaction with him? Are we there just to get what we want? Or is he really the ultimate treasure that we're after when we go and we seek him? Is he the real treasure that we're hoping to gain through the experience of prayer? Not all of our needs being met, but if everything, if, if I don't even get to that in the prayer, hallowed be your name and let it remain hallowed in my heart. When I sit alone in my room to pray, my true heart is revealed, Right? When I pray publicly, I can try to sound a little bit better, a little more eloquent, maybe be careful of which things I say and don't say, but when you're praying alone in your room, your heart is really revealed. What is your goal in prayer? What is your 
immediate address. What do you go to first? If I start my prayers with praise and adoration, God, you are holy, you are great, I'm humbled before you. If I start there, it shows that everything else is kind of a side note to my ultimate goal, to spend time with him, to connect with my father. That's what I really long for. We're petitioning to see him remain at the center point of our life by making him the starting point and the focus of our prayers. We are petitioning to see him remain at the center point of our life by making him the starting point and focus of our prayers. The second petition I see, it is a petition that God's name would not be profaned through our actions. To start our prayers with hallowed be your name is to ask God to help us, to sanctify us, to work on us that we may be true salt and light to the world around us as his representatives to the world. Hallowed be your name up there in heaven but also through me here on the earth. In addition to all this, it's at its core a praise and adoration of God. Hallowed be your name. My Lord, my Father, you are holy, you are perfect and I pray that you always remain so and I always see you as such in my heart and life. And I pray that others through me would see you as holy and righteous, as the loving God that you are, as I see you now. That should be our immediate place to go to in prayer. So the second petition, going back to the Lord's Prayer, after we have gone through our praise and adoration of who he is, your kingdom come. And when we pray your kingdom come, we are I believe ultimately asking God to extend that, his royal power and authority as Lord of Lords over every aspect of our lives. Let your kingdom come and reign in my life. Let your kingdom reign over my emotions, my desires, my thoughts, my every actions. Let your kingdom come. We're asking his kingdom to come into our lives and reign over us because when any other kingdom of this world takes charge, even if it's just one tiny sliver of our life, it can, all kinds of problems can ensue. It takes us away from him. In addition to this, Luther also reminds us that this is a reminder to yearn for that future life, he says, meaning to keep that hope of the kingdom to come, right? We have a hope down the road. Your kingdom is coming. We know that there is a great hope when Jesus will come again and reign over the earth. And we can also yearn for that and hope for that. Your kingdom come. We wait patiently. But there also definitely it's, needs to be noted that there is a tone of evangelism and the importance of spreading the truth of his kingdom on the earth. And as we pray this, your kingdom come, that we would pray that what is our part, what is my role to see your kingdom spread here on the earth? And that we would pray that his voice is heard in the hearts of those who need to hear it. It's a petition to see his kingdom come. The third petition, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
your will be done, first always reminds me of Jesus' words as he headed to the cross. He knew what he was about to face would be the hardest thing that had ever been faced by anybody throughout human history and ever would be faced. And he felt its weight on his heart and he prays, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I know what I'm about to face. I know what it's going to cost. But not my will, not what I want, but your will be done. We're reminded here that this life is not going to always be what we would hope it to be. We will face suffering. We will face hardship and pain. We will face troubles in this life. But we know that our Father is in heaven and he knows all things. He promises us that he is working all things out for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, called his children. So what we are really saying is, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you. In the midst of my troubles, I trust you. I lean not on anything else but you alone. Even when I don't understand why things are going the way they are in my life, I trust you. Not my will, not what I want. I know that if I had everything I want my whole life, I'd have some really crazy looking tattoos right now and who knows where I'd be. Thank God I didn't always get what I wanted in my life. Not what I want, not my will. Lord, let your will always be done in my life because I trust you more than I trust me. Going back to my previous point, unless we are certain that God is our Father, we'll never be able to fully trust him and say, your will be done. We'll never be able to fully fall back and say, your will be done. I trust you more than I trust myself. So we see this kind of foundation for prayer being built. It's strategically leading us to this stronger foundation and understanding of who we are praying to. Before we move into the fourth petition, I want really I want you to notice that. This is the Lord's prayer. This is the foundation for prayer. And we're about halfway through already. And every single bit so far has been completely about God. Him as our focus. Seeing Him as our Father. Seeing Him as holy. Putting our trust in Him. Praise and adoration of our Father should come first in our prayers. This reorients us and brings our perspective into the right standing. When we start with a position of awe towards God, of seeing him as great and mighty, but also as our Father, and then we bring our lists of things that we need, we do so with an absolute certainty that he can handle whatever it is that we bring. Our fourth petition Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, daily bread is about ultimately what you need, your sustenance. Give us what we need so that we can keep our focus on you, our true treasure and desire. It's an echo of what we see in Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, 
I may have too much and disown you and say, who is God? Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of God. It's not about getting everything we want, but it's also not just about bread. This is where the lists of needs and requests come in. We can truly bring our requests to him and he hears us. And I, it's just when we start at that place of adoration, it changes immediately everything. If you come and you're, you're stressed about a test, you're stressed about a job, you're stressed about money or, or uh, maybe a relationship that's kind of struggling and you're, you bring it to God and you just go straight to, God, look at all these things. Look, I need this. I need help. I need help. Then you're focusing on the problem. If you take a minute and say, wait, I just want to remember who you are. Then I bring that problem. It's like, you know, it actually doesn't seem that big, does it? When I remember who I'm giving it to. When I remember the problem I'm bringing and who I'm bringing it to, it diminishes in its effect on our lives. I don't feel so fearful because I know I trust him. We can bring our lists and our needs to him. Jesus gives us this, the example of daily bread to remind us that we are cared for daily. Jesus gives us, God gives us, our Father gives us what we need every day. Again, I'm a, this just came to me, this is always risky, but I just thought that my, you know, my son, I, I don't give him the food for the week and say, all right, ration it out, good luck. In fact, I don't even sometimes give him the food for a meal. I mean, he's only about two, so like sometimes you have to like, give it to him in sections. And some of us are at that stage where, you know, some of us are babies, and we still need to be given it one spoonful at a time. But God always gives us what we need. Never more and never less than what we need. And he does it to us on a daily basis. We're reminded of that, that we are cared for daily and our trust should be in him, in the one providing, not in having lots of money, not in a, a position, not in our education, but in him. But only what we need in order to follow him faithfully. I don't want too much that I would say, who's God? Look at all the money I have. But not too little that I would live in anxiety and fear and lose trust in him as well. He gives us our daily bread, which also encourages us to pray for the needs of others, especially the poor. For we, for we, we pray for that God would give us our daily bread. Not just give me what I need, but give us our daily bread. So it's an encouragement that we would see all have what they need. Not just me, but that we would see the needs of others met as well. That the rich don't trample the poor, but that we always are a voice for the voiceless. That we are always praying and seeking to meet the needs of those who are less fortunate than us. Luther was very... Uh, kind of key on that as uh, the meaning of daily bread. And we can add to our own lists the needs 
of the, our own list of needs, the needs of those around us when we think of our daily bread. That not only do I get what I need, but that all would receive the daily bread they need, that we would receive our daily bread. So it's an encouragement also to pray for those around you, to pray for those next to you and the things that are on their list. The fifth petition. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I want to quote Luther on this one because I really like the way he puts this. If anyone insists on his own goodness and despises others, let him look into himself when this petition confronts him. He will find he is no better than others and that in the, in the presence of God, everyone must duck his head and come into the joy of forgiveness only through the low door of humility. That one stings a bit. Jesus also says, right after he gives the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 5, 14 and 15, for if you, forgive, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is certainly a challenging petition to add into our prayers. It's about confession first to confess the things that we've maybe struggled with, to confess our sins to the Lord and, and receive his forgiveness for those things. And that sounds good, right? I want to get rid of those sins. I don't want to hold on to them. I want to be forgiven. I want to feel peace. I don't want to hold on to the burdens of that sin brings in my life. That part sounds really nice. But it's much harder and much more humbling to also then forgive and pray for others. As we pray this petition, we should be reminded, first, of the great forgiveness we've received. You have to start there. Here's my burdens, here's my sins, and wow, look at what God has forgiven me. And then, the harder part, to forgive those that have done us wrong. God forgives us of everything that we've done, and not just the things we've confessed all the things that we don't even know that we're sinning. The, more, the longer you follow the Lord, the deeper you go in your walk with him, the more you realize, man, I am way more screwed up than I thought. We start to see the sins we didn't even see as sins before. And we're like, man, I'm so thankful for everything, that, that God loves me so much that he forgave me of all these sins. That's the place we have to start. And when we find that peace... In the grace of God's forgiveness for our sins, we need to immediately begin to pray for those that have hurt us. And I think he puts these together for a reason, because it's a good thing to connect that in your prayer life. Whew, look at all the things God's forgiven me for. Hmm, I guess I should probably forgive that other person. I guess I should probably let that go. And I want to really encourage you that this is not just those who have hurt you maybe in a really in a specific way, or and some of you have been deeply hurt by people, and it takes time to forgive them. But some of us can't even let things go when we've just been annoyed by somebody, or that person that just we avoid at work, or we avoid at, at school, that teacher that's just, oh God, again, I have to sit through another lecture. I really want to encourage you to pray for those people. 
Make it a part of your prayer life. Anytime that if there's anybody that comes up in your heart as you're praying and there's somebody that you really wish wasn't on your mind, you should spend time praying for them. Because if you can't, if you can't forgive them, Jesus says, I, God can't forgive you. Because, and what do you, it's not, it's not that uh, like uh, if you don't forgive them, he won't forgive you. Like, well, if you're not going to do that, I'm not going to do it. It's that you don't understand forgiveness. You don't understand grace. And you don't understand who you are as a child of God. All goes back to seeing God as our Father and understanding the grace that we've received. When you get that, man, there's, what can I really have against anybody when I know what Christ has done for me? So pray for those people in your life. You might probably have a couple on your mind, maybe. I don't. I love all of you equally. Notice I'm not looking up. No, just kidding. The last petition, arguably, the sixth and or seventh, depending on which study you're reading, is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one depending on the translation you use. Now you'll note that it doesn't say that we won't face temptation, but that we would not be led into temptation. There are two things I believe we need to note on that. The first, we will face temptation. You will face temptation. It is not, there's no prayer that you will never face temptation again in your life, in this lifetime. We will face temptation. It's inevitable. But we can pray that we always have the strength to not dwell on the temptation, but to turn from it quickly. That we wouldn't be led into that temptation, but we would be led away from it. When the temptations come, we don't ponder it. We don't think, well, I don't, I don't know. Just a little bit might be okay. We don't think about indulging it. Instead, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray that God leads us away quickly. We can rebuke even the thought before it turns into anything else. And the second thing is that God doesn't test us when we're not ready. Temptation is important and vital for our growth as Christians. And God will sometimes allow temptations to come into our lives to help strengthen and bring us through a trial so that through facing it, through that testing of fire, as it's uh, used, that we may come out stronger and more prepared for what God is calling us into. And we can pray in our prayer life that God would never, ever lead us, never test us with something that he hasn't given us the strength to overcome. And in that, we can trust him that when we do face that temptation, no matter how weak we feel, we do have the strength to overcome it by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And if we see this idea of lead us not into temptation, I, I, I think we can kind of put it in a box, if you will, of things that are really a lot of from within. Right? It's the evil from within ourselves, the twisting of our own desires, falling into lust of the eyes or the flesh, whatever it might be. And then we see this second depiction, then deliver us from evil. 
deliver us from the evil or from evil or from the evil one is about something that comes from outside of us. It's a reminder that we have an enemy, but we also have a God who is greater than him. That he who is in me is truly greater than he who is in the world. And I can ask my Father to protect me, to guard me, and to be watching over me against my enemy. So how do we pray this prayer? And this is what I want to do here in a moment. Is to give you an opportunity to go through this prayer for yourself. Thinking of it as a foundation to build on. This is a foundation for all prayer and all types of prayer are within this prayer. So I believe it's a good place to start to simply walk through what Jesus gives us in answer to the question, teach us, Lord, teach us to pray. To walk through what Jesus gives us and not necessarily go through it word for word, but to, as Luther puts it, to riff on the Lord's Prayer. Each section to go through and make it into your own words, to pray from your heart. Personally, when I do this, I always start with the words that I know and the version I know, which is the ESV, and then add in our own words as we feel led. And going through it, you might be able to go through it in two minutes, but I really also want to encourage you to always be aware and now in our time now, but hopefully when you do it maybe this week, when you try this at home, is to be aware of the Holy Spirit as you do. I think that's definitely worth noting, and especially with something that we've all heard so many times that becomes so familiar to us, to be aware of the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by that is we want to go through it and, and say, okay, our Father in heaven, Lord, I, I, I'm so thankful that I can be called your son, that you are my Father, that you love me as a son, and that you are our Father, that I am united to the church through the grace that you've given us. Hallowed be your name. Your name is so holy and above all else. I'm just, I didn't actually put any notes here, just that that's real riffing right there, guys. But what I mean by that is, as you're doing that, sometimes the Holy Spirit might really want to strengthen something that maybe is a bit weak for you. Maybe you get, you start, maybe you're always bringing your list to God first, and you might start off with, hallowed be your name, and you just suddenly feel joy. Wow, he is hollowed in my heart. He is holy. He is great. And you might get excited about that. You don't want to be a slave then to structure and say, okay, well, hallowed be your name. Okay, your kingdom come. Take some time and, and, and just pour out your heart from what might be putting, be, God might be putting in there, what the Holy Spirit might want to be connecting you with. So you want to be aware of the Holy Spirit as you go through this. But I want to encourage you, and I'll invite the band actually now to come up and just kind of have some music going. So if you want to pray out loud, you know, to yourself, you don't uh, feel sub, uh, self-conscious about it. And we'll take a few minutes. Right now, we're just going to take maybe three to five minutes. And it will be on the screen. Uh, the Lord's Prayer will be on the screen. And I, I just want to encourage you to go through and pray each and every one of these sections, these petitions we looked at, in your own words, from your own heart, again, being aware of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe you need to 
when you get to that forgiveness part, you need to spend a couple more minutes and there might be a list of people that you need to pray for and let go of some things, whatever it might be. Go, let's go through this together, kind of a, or to ourselves in our, in our seats and let the Lord really speak to us and through us as we pray the foundation that Christ gives us for prayer.